Welcome to Coach House Talks. Hello everybody. Nice to be here again in God's presence, in God's house, to worship him. And we're coming to uh, have a look at an experience that, that the Apostle Peter had, that he shared with his with his readers. But before I do that, I'd just like to share a bit of encouragement with you. Yesterday, Brenda and I went and visited an outreach event at a church we used to go to years ago, which was known as Bashan Tabernacle. And there we met another visitor who had been a neighbor of ours years ago, uh, who had no interest in the Lord because I tried to share the gospel with him. And um, he just didn't want to know. But when I was speaking with him yesterday, because I was surprised to see him there, he said that uh, he had started going to one of the local African churches in the area where we live. So um, I was really pleased to hear that, you know, that, that God is moving in his heart. And I prayed it. Uh, I'm not sure if he's really given his heart to Jesus yet, but at least he's moving in the right direction, which is a big change to what he was years ago. Anyway, let's come to our topic this morning. This morning, we're going to look at Peter's witness to Jesus' glory and deity and to the things he says about prophecy. Firstly, this revelation is known as the Transfiguration, and you can read about it in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. And this is one of two significant revelations that, that Peter had about, about Jesus that because earlier in, in, his, in his being with Jesus, Jesus had asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they, they replied by saying, well, some say you're this prophet, that prophet, possibly John the Baptist back from the dead. But Jesus said, who do you? Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who responded, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said he was blessed because of that, because he had that revelation from God the Father, of whom Jesus is, and what a tremendous thing that is, you know, to have that revelation of of whom Jesus is. And then there was a second one, on the Mount of Transfiguration. It is a tradition that this event occurred on Mount Tabor in Galilee, which is in northern Israel. It was a tradition established by Origen, who was a third-century Christian scholar and church father. It was also confirmed by the priest and church historian Jerome and the theologian Cyril of Jerusalem in the 4th century AD. Let's read 2 Peter 1, 16-21. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord, Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also had the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But, but prophets 
though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now Peter was one of three eyewitnesses to Jesus' revelation of his divine majesty. The other two were James and John. These three disciples were Jesus' innermost circle among the twelve. Peter and James were destined to have important leadership positions in the embryonic church after Jesus' ascension, while John would go on to write about Jesus' deity, glory and majesty in what would become known as, as John's Gospel. John's Gospel is my, my favourite Gospel. I think it's, it, it's such a wonderful document. It, it's, it sets forth Jesus right at the beginning, who he is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So John was one of those three on that mountain and he saw this revelation of Jesus' divine glory. What happened was that Jesus' human flesh and blood just suddenly began to shine with his divine glory that, that, that was naturally his. So Peter wanted his readers to know that he, Peter, was fully qualified to speak about what he had witnessed regarding Jesus, because he had been with him, not just on Mount Tabor, but through all the time that Jesus was ministering and teaching, which was around three years. He was at pains to make his readers understand that he was not lying, not spinning them tall tales of mythology and fairy stories to exploit them, which is what false prophets do. You know, because these guys, these men, they'd spent three years of their life with Jesus, and Peter was one of the closest to Jesus. And, and he loved Jesus. He really loved Jesus. And he, he was at pains to tell his readers here that he had seen all these things, that he knew Jesus, that he loved Jesus, and that what he was saying to them was not lies. It was the truth, because he had been with him all that time, just like the others had been. Peter had once said that he would die for Jesus in Matthew twenty six thirty five. Back then, as it turned out, he didn't. Even the, he didn't even have the courage to admit knowing Jesus when the crunch came. Remember, three times he was asked in the courtyard of the high priest's house, "You were with Jesus, weren't you? Who me? No way, Jose. No, he he didn't have the courage to even admit that he knew Jesus. And he went out and wept bitterly. But you know, Jesus lovingly restored Peter after his resurrection. That. It was a tragedy. It had all, the, con all the, the possibilities of being a tragedy, but Jesus restored him, and he told Peter to feed his sheep. So 30-plus years later, Peter knows that he is going to die for Jesus. And when he wrote this letter, it wasn't far off. You know, Peter had said that he was prepared to die for Jesus all those years ago, and he didn't have the courage to do it. But the time was coming when, when he would die for Jesus. And this was during Nero's persecution. Nero was one of the worst of the Roman emperors at that time. <clears throat> I think he reigned from, um, from 64, or possibly before, to about 50-odd AD. Sorry, 70-odd AD. And he made life really awful for, for Christians. He really savagely persecuted them. And it was at that time that Peter died under the Neronian persecution. Have you ever wondered why Peter and the other disciples except John were martyred? It was so that they could witness to the world that they fully believed that Jesus was the resurrected Messiah 
They proved their confidence in Jesus and what they said and wrote about him by, by sealing their testimonies with their blood. After all, who would suffer and die for a pack of lies? This is the greatest evidence that Peter and his brethren were not false prophets because they were prepared to lose everything, even their lives for Jesus. This was Paul's position too. He had met the risen Lord, Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road and had been temporarily blinded by Jesus' resurrection glory. He knew that he had met Jesus and had no worries about martyrdom if it came to that. So these men, those 12 who had been with Jesus for three years, then later Paul who described himself as one born out of time or born late, had all seen Jesus after his resurrection. And that gave them the confidence to face death. They, they were not spinning stories and lies about a resurrected person. They, they had actually met him. And to prove it, they were prepared to give their lives. And because they did give their lives, except for John, it shows that, that, that what they were saying was true because they had every confidence in Jesus as to who he was. So Peter uses his having witnessed Jesus' transfiguration to persuade his readers that he was telling the truth. He wasn't a liar. He wasn't a false prophet. This event, the transfiguration, places Jesus in a unique place as God's servant. No one else ever shone with divine glory. Jesus wasn't reflecting light from the cloud because the Shekinah glory of God the Father appeared on the, on, on the mountain with them, which appeared... So Jesus wasn't reflecting light from the cloud which appeared. This appeared a bit later. His glory was that which he had with the Father before the world began, which is mentioned in John 17 in Jesus' prayer. Because Jesus said to the Father there, Father, restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world was. Jesus yearned to be back with his Father. He knew he was going to go through a dreadful experience of crucifixion and separation from God for, to pay the price of our sins and his heart learned to, yearned to be with, with Jehovah his father with God and he said Lord father restore to me the, the glory that I had with you before the world began so just for a moment those three disciples saw that divine glory that Jesus had so even Moses, the mediator of the law, couldn't do this because he was just a man. Jesus was God and man. He was God the Son who had become incarnate in human flesh and blood. He had a human nature. He was God and he was, and he was man only without sin. And, and though Moses' face shone after his encounters with God, it wasn't Moses' glory and it faded with time. Jesus, though, is both man and God, as I just said. There is no one to compare with him, as it says in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Only Jesus and no one else. And it is as true today as it was then, as it always will be. Jesus is the source of salvation forever. We come now to Peter's second point regarding prophecy. Peter is here, referring, is here referring to the Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus. The Old Testament is 
the books that we call the Old Testament are the Hebrew, the Jewish Hebrew scriptures, what they call the Tanakh, the prophets and the Psalms and, and the writings of Moses. Jesus fulfilled most of the prophecies concerning him and his first coming. The remaining ones relate to his second coming. In those days, they were, they were the only written scriptures that the church had along with the Jewish people. They didn't have the New Testament back then, but they had the scriptures to study. They had the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Jewish, the Jewish scriptures. And, and Peter encouraged them to read these prophecies and to see that Jesus had fulfilled them. <clears throat> it is the second coming that Peter refers to when he mentions the day dawning and the morning star arising, because this will mean for us the end of this world's darkness and seeing Jesus face to face. That means that when Jesus comes again, he will lift us off out of this world, out of this world's darkness. We will see him face to face and our bodies will be transformed to be like his body is now his resurrection body. He is the first fruits of those that rise from the dead. And he's going to make all of us who trust in him just like he is. And, and the, the Old Testament scriptures also speak of that time to come. So Peter tells us that the Old Testament prophets were given their messages prophecies by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In this, he endorses the authority of the Old Testament. The false prophets, on the other hand, just made up their prophecies as they went along. And they were used by Satan to cause trouble, disunity and confusion in the church. The Old Testament prophets were sent by God mainly to Israel, though they did speak to foreign nations too. For example, Jonah was sent to the Assyrian capital Nineveh. Can we expect prophets like them now? I don't think so because God has caused his spirit to dwell in the hearts of those who are born again. If you love Jesus, if he's in your heart, if you've given your heart to him, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, lives in our hearts. That wasn't true in Old Testament times because Jesus had not died. It's only since he has died and cleansed us with his blood that the spirit of God can now dwell within us. <clears throat> so... Not only that, we have the canon of scripture as well. The canon means rule or measurement. And the Bible is our rule of life and faith in which God is, God's will is revealed. But if anyone does arise who apparently has a prophetic or inspired message for a local congregation, then 1 John 4.1 tells us to test them because there are many false prophets. They have never gone away. And it's interesting here that um, in the run-up to the First World War, a prophet was sent to the church in Armenia. You know, Armenia was a country that had very early on given itself over to the gospel. And at one time it was called the land of a thousand and one churches. It was actually a Christian nation. However, unfortunately, Satan tried to destroy them through the Islamic Turkish Ottoman Empire and they were oppressed for centuries by the, by the Islamic Ottoman Empire. Mm. Anyway, this person came to around 1914, and they were warned of a Turkish invasion and slaughter that was coming. As a matter of fact, practically half of the Armenian nation were, were, were butchered to death by the, by the Ottoman Empire under the Turks. <clears throat> but there were those who heeded the prophecy and left whilst they could. 
was listening to one of their descendants on um, YouTube last night, who is now a heart surgeon in America, who really loves the Lord. What gave credence to the prophecy was, was Christian Armenia's long history of oppression and persecution by the Turkish Islamic Ottoman Empire. So these false prophets have never gone away. However, according to John, John says supremely they must acknowledge Jesus as Lord. If anyone has a prophetic gift or says they do, they must acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and that he has come in the flesh. And they will never contradict the Bible or its principles. Anyone who feels they've been given a prophetic message for a local congregation will always subject themselves to the word of God and to that to that congregation and its leaders to see if what they're saying is true. True prophecy will never contradict the Bible or its principles. True prophecy from God will always submit to Jesus and God's word. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.